0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if you've ever um, had the experience of thinking you were going to go one direction and then suddenly you're forced to go to a different direction. Maybe it was choices in life or a job. Something took you off course of what you thought you were going to do. That's basically what happened to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel had been in training to be a priest in the temple. And as he turned 30 the age in which then somebody became a priest, God comes to Ezekiel and says, guess what, I want you to be a prophet instead. It's a lot more fun to be a priest than it is to be a prophet. Nobody likes prophets. (laughs) God places in Ezekiel a vision and a calling to warn the people about their impending destruction And to turn back to God. And here's the thing. People don't listen. People never listen to prophets. That's why it's not fun being a prophet. We sit there and go, oh my gosh, they're just cantankerous and they're always complaining. They're always telling me what's going wrong. Being a prophet is the worst job in the world because people don't want to listen. So Ezekiel tries to do some strange things to see if he could get people's attention. He builds a miniature model of Jerusalem and then he destroys it to try to give a life, uh, a, a, a real exhibit of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He cuts off his hair and he chops it up with a sword warning them that this is what will happen to them. Oftentimes, people's hair was shaved or made short as a way um, of of shaming and marking them. We might think about the stories of the Native American boarding schools where we heard of those things now coming to light. And my favorite and one of the grossest passages in all of Scripture, he says for a year he sits on his side and he eats food that is cooked by burning human dung. A sign he says this will happen to us if we do not change. But people did not listen to the destruction of the miniature model of Jerusalem. They did not listen to him cutting his hair. And for sure, they didn't listen to him eating bread cooked on human waste. And the thing is, is that everything that he envisions and tells people is going to happen happens. There's two primary images that we take from um, the prophet Ezekiel. The first is is that um, Ezekiel has a vision that God is going to save a remnant and that God will turn their heart of stone to an open heart. I know for some of us, one of our favorite songs is I, the Lord of Sea and Sky, and that hymn captures this very image of turning um, away our hearts of stone. And then we get this vision of the dry bones in today's reading. The late Robert Jensen says that the story of the dry bones is the culmination for Christians, the entire story of the Old Testament. Israel in this story has come to the end of itself. They are faced with death. And not just a dead body, but death beyond hope. The bones were not just bones, they were dry bones. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Have you ever been dried up? Have you ever had your hope lost? Jensen says that this story is the fulfillment of the punishment in Genesis 2, the clash between God's will and the will of human creatures, by which humans want to live alone and refuse to live by God's will, has come to its conclusion the end of Israel's history. God asked Ezekiel, can the dead live again? When have you asked, can these bones live I remember when I was working as a chaplain at Christa Santa Rosa in San Antonio, I went to the ER one night to go and do rounds and see who had come in, and a woman had come in from a drug overdose. One of the things that we often did as chaplains was find out, is there somebody you want us to contact for you? She asked for her mom. I called the mom and say, your daughter is here and she is asking for you. A few hours later, I go back to the ER to see how she is doing, to see if her mom is there and her mom is sitting there waiting. Her mom says, this is the fifth time, and I don't know when the last one is going to be. I've tried everything that I know to do, and there is nothing more that I can do. I'm afraid that she is just going to die. There were no words in that moment in which to simply say, You know, oh, well, don't worry. Because Easter begins at the grave. Easter is not a metaphor. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he tells us something about resurrection and life. As well about Himself, resurrection and life are not immediate bliss nor simply a proposition about a post-mortem future. Resurrection and life is life lived to the full, courage in the face of evil, hope despite the evidence, and faith that God can be at work in the worst of our times and situations and not just when things we like are apparent. Easter begins at the grave. It is that moment when we are like the the mother in the story who is saying, I don't know that this is ever going to get better. It is the story of our dry bones. When we ask, Can these bones live? Easter is news. Easter is proclamation. It's not just about Jesus. It's not just about what happens to you when you die. The thing about Easter is is that it is only a third of the three great days. By holding together Friday, Saturday, Sunday, cross, death, and resurrection, the ancient church refused to allow us to slip into thinking that is often common today about a disembodied abstraction like love is stronger than death or um, springtime renews. Spring comes reliably every single year, resurrection only comes from the mighty act of God interceding upon dry bones. We have made faith about a mortal soul, but it is only. But if it's only about an immortal soul, if faith is only about a mortal soul, why bother making humankind in God's image? If the soul is the only thing that is important about ourselves, why did Jesus become flesh and live among us? All this soul talk about when we die or our souls go away makes sense in a pagan world like Plato lived in. A pagan world where creation was an accident. The pagan world saw creation as something that you could kind of play with and see what would happen. But our creation by our biblical accounts is no accident. God said, I want to make something in my image and made us. When God talks to Ezekiel, God does not look upon the valley of the dry bones and say, Well, their soul's in a better place. God asks, Can these bones live? God brings back to life that which is dead. It's not just that we have a soul, but we have a body. The Bible pays respect to the power of death and the, the hurt that it causes. Who of us have not been so disturbed like Jesus is in this gospel story where he is grieved to his very soul, clinging to the tomb of his friend Lazarus? Jesus was not clinging to the tomb because Lazarus' soul was somewhere else, but because he was deeply grieved by the reality of death and our fear of dry bones. The vision of Ezekiel's boneyard is the end of all of us. It is our future. It's what awaits us. Unless, unless, as Jason Michelli says, that God has answered his own question, can these bones live? By raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Unless God raised Jesus as the first fruit of what God is going to do to all of us. Easter begins at the grave. Because Easter is not a metaphor. I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.